bow your heads with me. Uh, I want to pick up the message where I left off last week. Uh, last week, um, we kind of gave you the introduction to the one thing that I want to share with you this morning to kind of pick up so we could make our journey, Exodus, from slavery to Canaan and get to where God would have us to go. So before I pray, do me a favor. Turn to the person to your left first. Turn to the person to your left and say, neighbor, whatever you do, avoid the shortest route. Yeah, tell the other neighbor. Say, other neighbor, whatever you do, avoid the shortest that route. Yeah, yeah, because here's the big thing that we wanted you all to take away. And that is God is never in a hurry when he is working on us. Isn't that frustrating, though, that he's never in a hurry? He, he always, he always, he always takes adequate time to remove those things in us that are not like him. God is never in a hurry when he's worked on us. He always allows adequate time to remove everything in us that's not like him. And that's because when he gets through with us, he wants us to see him and people to see God in us. You don't want them to encounter us. Amen? So you want God to have his way. Let's bow our head and let's pray. Uh, I'm in the book of Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to deal with verses 1 through 14 this morning as we kind of talk about avoiding the shortest route, part two. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, have your way. Felix dies and invite you to take residence on the throne of my life. It's about you, God, and not about me or what I think I may have to say. We want to learn from you. We want to hear from you. We want to be about you this morning, God. So open our hearts to hear, to receive, to be in tune, and just to make the necessary adjustment, Lord, so that we can leave those places of entrapments, those places of slavery, those places of bondage, the Egypts in our life, and make it to our place of promise. So Holy Spirit, as uh, we shared this morning, I'm praying that somebody's life would be changed, somebody would be equipped, somebody would be motivated to be better, Lord. So we thank you for you and what you're doing. You're an awesome, a wonderful, and a gracious God. Thank you for the worship experience this morning. Now, bring to remembrance that which has been deposited as we give you praise, honor, and glory. In your name we pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. So let me review. Um, back up with me to chapter 13 of the book of Exodus. Um, I just want to review briefly what we talked about, and then we're going to jump to where we're going to be this morning to allow God to be God in our midst. Chapter 13... Um, where I want to go to. Give me a quick second. Exodus 13, and I think we are right around, let me see here, verse 17. Yeah, let's pick up at verse 17, and then we're going to move down and let God have his way. How many of you here this morning were, were here last week? Were you here last week? Good. Okay, okay. How many of you were not here last week? Yeah. Yeah, I just got to stop that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. You can't come to church when you want to, you know. You got to come every Sunday because we do this thing systematically. Now you guys are going to miss some things that we have shared. So um, the good news is we have podcasts, and isn't that nice? Um, so you can get it on your iPhones um, or your phone or your mobile device or MP3 player. Just go to iTunes, and you can subscribe to our messages and get them. That's the good news. Or you can go online, YouTube, and just Google the church, and you can watch the service in its entirety. That's the exciting thing. Um, look with me at verse 17. Let me just walk through what we shared last week so God could move, and then we're going to get to where I want to share this morning. 
Verse 17 of chapter 13 from the ESV says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, or some of your translations said, that was the shortest route. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they face war and return to Egypt, but God led them around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Um, here's the thing that we shared from that last, uh, last Sunday, and we spent a few minutes wrestling with it on this Wednesday night as well as we interacted and revisited the message. Um, the way I stated it, and some of you disagreed or we kind of did some interaction with that, is that um, I said to you that God had options in the route that he chose to take the Israelites to their place of promise. That's the statement I made, I made with you. Um, and the reason I said he had options, I put the map up there. You had a chance to see the map. And then you'll notice that there was a more direct route from Egypt going by way of the Mediterranean Sea all the way through Philistine country to get to the region of Canaan. And we stated that particular journey could be a few days. We don't know. We weren't there. We don't know what the mode or means of transportation was, depending on how fast they walk or however, what the third journey was. We'll see some things about that this morning. But point was, that was the shortest route, verse 13 says. Instead, God chose the long route in moving the Israelites from their Egypt to the place of promise. Now, the point that was made in all of that is that God discerned or God realized or God saw or God understood that the Israelites were not yet equipped for battle. And here's the statement I made to you. After being in Egypt for 400 years, that's a long time. Come on, say amen. They had become Egyptians. They developed some habits. They developed some traits. They developed some things that God needed to take out of them. So God took them the long route, the scenic route. And, and, and here's the application we kind of drew from that is that some of us have been in our Egypt situation. We've been in bondage and slavery in the world for so long that we start to look like the world. We start to behave like the world. We start to function like the world. So God needs time to work the world out of us. Amen. And the reason, the reason we go back so quick on the journey is because we know what Egypt is like. We know what it is to live like there. We know, I mean, we spent a lot of time there, so it's become familiar. And now that God wants to take us to this new place to do a new work in us, he's got to work some things out. Come on, say, he's got to work it out. Repeat that. Say it again. Say, he's got to work it out. So the goal of God is that not that we return to Egypt when we encounter difficulty, but that we continue the journey and make it to our place of promise. So he takes us the longest route. The good news that we saw in the long route was found, um, go down with me to verse 21 and look at verse 21 and we'll talk through that real quick. This is the second thing I share with you. And that was that the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may, be tra that they may travel by the day and by night. Let me read that again because that's important. 21. And the Lord went before them by the pillar of fire of, in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel when? By day and when? 
And look at verse 22. It says, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Here's the principle we extracted from that. Stay in the presence. Y'all remember that? Come on. Stay in the presence. God wants to lead and God wants to direct. So we have the presence of God, the pillar of cloud in front, and the pillar of fire by day. And the important thing in that, and I'll talk a little bit about that today, is that when you're in the will and the protection of God, progress towards your place of destiny is not impeded. Y'all wrestle with that a little bit, okay? When you're in the will and the way of God, and, and God is with you and he's protecting you, and he's guiding you every step of the way, progress is not impeded. We talk about that a little bit, okay? And then we ended up, we ended up in verse 14, chap, chapter 14, jump all the, go to 14. Let me read this, and then I will back up and then talk about this. Here's where we end. This is where I want to pick up in verse uh, 13 of chapter 14. Okay, say amen if you're there. And Moses said to the people, verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Yeah, that's the third thing we said is, is shut up and let God fight. <laughs> kind of did with that. I want to pick up there. I want to pick up there. All the introduction stuff from last week was very, very important for me to share the one thing I want to share with you. Um, don't forget that this series is within the context of us as a ministry making the transition to the season of more than enough. So a mindset change needs to happen. Does that make sense, guys? We need to change the way we think, the way we process, the way we do some things so we can get to where God would have us to go. So let me build this up a little bit. So back up with me to um, verse 1 of chapter 14, and let's walk through this that, um, so that God would speak and that uh, we would hear clearly from God this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 14, um, and let me kind of walk you through this. Okay, notice what verse 1 says. Then the Lord said to Moses, let me read this, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hieroth, however you pronounce that, between Migdal and the sea. In front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Verse 3, for Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. Um, the wilderness has shut them in. Look at verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians, it says, shall know that I am the Lord. And I like this next phrase, and they did so, okay? The last phrase of verse 4, um, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Repeat after me. Say, God wants, God wants to get the glory, get the glory. In, the in the battles of my life. One more time. Say, God wants, God wants to, get the glory to get the glory in the battles of my life. 
okay? Now, now, now let, me, let, me, let me walk y'all through this. Let me give you a little bit of a depiction of what we said last week. Here it was. God had delivered the Israelites from the land of Egypt and was taking them on their place of, of promise. Now, mind you, he had already avoided the shortest route, and then all of a sudden, God says to them, now turn back. And he rerouted them from the progress that they had already made and took them back towards the mountain route. And, and here's how I said it this past Wednesday, and I kind of illustrated that uh, last Sunday as well. They are camped by the sea with the sea in front of them and the mountains behind them. In other words, they're literally hemmed in with no place to go and approaching them. The text just says that God decides that I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh is going to pursue you to come after you. Now, if I'm you, I'm having a conversation with God at that time. God, didn't you just deliver me? Come on. So, so, so what are you doing? Why are you backing me up into this corner? Why are you placing me in this difficult predicament when we could have made a whole lot of progress? And, and here's what I said to you last week. Sometimes God wants to set the enemy up so he can eliminate him completely from our lives. Are you with me? And understand with me, understand with me that the text pointedly says in chapter 13, when God released the Israelites, they were ill-equipped for battle. They didn't know how to fight. So God had to teach them now how you fight. Anybody want to learn how to fight? Come on, anybody want, come on, don't fool me this morning. Anybody want to know how to fight? You see, we've been fighting wrong for so long that we think we have it under control. But look at what the text says. Look at what the text says. It says here in uh, verse, uh, verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get a glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that what? I am, don't miss that, that I am Yahweh, okay? And the people did so. One more time. Let me read it one more time because I want to emphasize this. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am what? Yeah. Listen to this real quick, and then I'm going to move on. This is passing. That stronghold, that challenge, that difficulty, that enslaving thing that keeps pursuing you and I and has us in bondage, the reason the thing keeps showing up so often is because you and I have been fighting it and we haven't stood still long enough for God to get the glory over it. Let me help you. Let me help you. A person that might have had an addictive situation, here's how we say, I've beat drugs. I beat the bottle. I overcome whatever the situation is. And then inevitably, in time, the thing repeats itself. And here's what society now says to the people. I thought you beat that. I thought you overcame that situation. Difference. When God has us backed up against the wall, the goal of God is that, not, that you and I engage the pharaohs of our life. We stand still and let God gain the glory. Because the statement looks a lot different when God does it. 
not look what I did. It's not look what I've done, but it's always look what God, oh, come on, talk to me this morning. It's always look at what God has done. And I'm trying to say to you this morning, when God gets the glory, when God engages the pharaohs, when God engages those enslaving things, when God deals with the strongholds of our lives, it's a whole different battle because we're not involved. God handles it. Oh, come on, say amen. Say, listen, turn to him and say, neighbor, we need to learn to let God fight. Come on, say, we need to learn to let God, yeah, we need to learn to get God fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's what he says to the Israelites. I want to deal with the Egyptians in your life. Remember with me when we first started the series several weeks ago, he dealt with the firstborn. And the firstborn was the succeeding Pharaoh, the succeeding God. Now he wants to deal with the reigning Pharaoh, the reigning thing of their life. And God wants to deal with that reigning thing in our life, the thing, the, the, that frailty, that sin, like it says in Hebrews, that does so easily beset us, that struggle, that stronghold. God wants to be able to deal with it in our lives. And so he will position us in places where we can't run to test us. Here's how I said it Sunday. When you look at Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, sometimes later in 22 and 1, God tested Abraham and said to him, offer this thing. So you need to know on your journey, on your Christian walk, there's going to be times when God is going to test you. The test is not for you to fight, but it's for you to learn how to let God fight for you. Come on, make, is this making sense, guys? It's for us to learn how to let God fight for us. Are you with me? Okay. Now, let's read. And so, verse 5, let me just narrate, then I'm going to get to the next place where I want to go, okay? Um, verse 5 talks about how the king of Egypt, um, when the people had left, he changed his mind, he hardened his heart. Look at verse 8. Let me read verse 8. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, uh, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people were going out defiantly or boldly. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them in sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. Okay? Verse 10 talks about when he got close, uh, the people started screaming and complaining. They were afraid, okay? And the last part of verse 10, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Look at verse 11. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12, is not this what you said to, what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Okay, now verse 13 picks up. Moses said to the people, stand, fear not, stand firm, and see the what? Salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And look at verse, the next phrase. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14 says, the Lord will do what? Fight for you. You only have to do what? Y'all bear with me. Let me belabor this point for 
a few minutes by reading it over and over and over again because there's an important life principle right here that we must understand before we can move on. One more time. Um, verse 13, the people, context, the people are hemmed up in the corner. The Red Sea is in front of them, and the Red Sea now stands between them and the place of progress. Behind them is the mountain, so there's no way for them to back up. And Pharaoh's army is pursuing, about to take them out because Pharaoh is frustrated, he's angry, he's mad that he released the people of God. And then Moses stands boldly in front of the people of God and says, hold up, you guys, God got this. And listen to what he says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today. Ah. You, 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 you will do what? Never see again. And verse 14 is an important phrase. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to shut up. I don't know about you, and I'm using metaphors, I'm using metaphors. I've gotten tired in my Christian journey of having to deal with Egyptians. Maybe you like your stuff, but I don't. Come on. Whatever the stronghold is, whatever the difficulties, maybe it's a challenge in my marriage, maybe it's, it's a job situation, maybe it's a stronghold, whatever the situation is, there comes a point in time where we've got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and we start saying enough is enough. Come on. And, and, and Moses now is trying to lay down an important principle to teach us how to make progress in life so we don't have to deal with the yesterday over and over and over and over over and over and over and over again. Principle number one, fear not. Tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor don't be afraid. Come on, tell them, don't be afraid. Say it again, say, don't be afraid. Anybody in here know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and what? And of sound mind. The reason I fear is because I have fooled myself into thinking God doesn't have the ability to deal with my thing, or more importantly, because I don't know how to do it, and I don't know how to call on God to do it for me, it instills fear in my life. I wish I had two people here that, that, that locked into that. Yeah. The only way you can scare me is if I don't see a way out, and I don't know how I'm going to get out, and I don't know how to do it. Come on, talk to me. And I've tried everything, and everything has failed. And more importantly, God has not shown himself in that way to me, so I don't know his ability in that fashion, so it causes me to fear. Ah, but, but if you've ever been hungry and God fed you, food doesn't bother you. If you've ever been sick and God healed you, sickness doesn't bother you. I wish I had two witnesses. If you've ever gone through anything where God has proven himself faithful, that thing does not bother you and it does not scare you. But the reason, the reason, the reason, the reason, the reason we get afraid is we don't know the ability of God in that thing, in that circumstance, 
in that situation, okay? I'm hemmed in, the Red Sea is in front, and the mountain is behind, and Pharaoh's army is coming, and, and assume for a moment the Red Seas are the debts, and the Red Seas are the bills, and I'm afraid because I don't know how to pay the bills because God hadn't paid the bills yet. I wish I had somebody, so I don't know him like a bill player. Come on, talk to me. And so when the phone rings, when Pharaoh comes, and I'm watching television, and 1-800 shows up on the screen, I get all panicky and nervous because God hadn't proven himself like that. Or I go to the doctor and I get some diagnosis. The Red Sea's in front. Pharaoh's behind. And I have no out. The only out is through Pharaoh. And I don't know if God could deal with Pharaoh. I know I can't. Are you with me? I know I can't handle him. I don't know if God could deal with him. And so it causes fear. It causes fear. It causes fear. Lesson number one, you need to know God's ability and the power of God. I'm going to get back to chapter 3 in a little while just for cross-reference to see all to lack with you. But number one, I mean, just, just believe God on this. Fear not because God can. Fear not because God can. Second thing, stand firm. Oh, I wish I had. Y'all not yet. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, it's the neighbor. Stop running. One more time. Say, neighbor, stop running. Huge, huge problems, and you and I ending up back to Egypt. Fear not, uh, verse 13 says, stand firm. Let me tell you that, that phrase, that verbal phrase, stand firm. The word simply means to hold your ground. This is not a passive standing firm. It's an active standing firm. In other words, you're looking at the enemy as you stand firm in faith in God and say, I dare you. <laughs> because, my God, <laughs> I, I, I dare you. Let me, let me help you out with application because you're not getting this yet. I, I, I'm a member of the church here, and I failed, and I did something wrong, and I know the church folk going to talk about me when I show up, so guess what I do? Stand. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm in a marital relationship, and I know things aren't going well, and it seems as if we can't get our act together. We can't seem to work it out. It doesn't look the way we think it ought to look. And the first thing we want to do is we want to run to do something about it. The text still says, don't be afraid, stand firm. We need a body of believers that knows how to stand firm regardless of what the situation, regardless of what the circumstances, regardless what, of what the Egyptian attack is. We stand firm. Come on, say stand firm. And then look at the next one. Today, he says, you're going to see, and he uses this Hebrew word, Yeshua, salvation of the Lord. Yeshua, Yahweh. That word could be translated the deliverance, the healing, the hand of God. Okay? Now, I'm going to work with that text. I can't see the deliverance of God if God has to chase me down to heal me.
want to heal you. Wait, I want to heal you. Wait, I want to heal you. I want to, I want to heal you. And God has to chase us all over the place. And the moment he has you standing long enough, something else happens and here you go. And you can never get to healing. That's why some of us have gone through three, four, five, six, seven marriages, 20 jobs. Come on, talk to me this morning. That's why we go through so many calamities in life is because we never stand still long enough. Remember with me, the goal of God is not the other person, it is you. Because he wants to work out of you everything that's not like him. That's why he takes you the long route. But here's what we do. Lord, it's the other person. They're not changing, so here's what I'm going to do. And we can never see. <laughs> no, 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 I'm telling you, I'm telling you. This, this next verbal phrase is going to really get you. We can't get to deliverance because we move too much. Physically, when I was stricken with cancer, they made me stay in the bed. Stand firm. <laughs> so your body can experience deliverance, healing. The reason the doctors put your foot or your arm in a cast when you break it is so it can stay firm. I wish I had somebody. <laughs> and so it don't move. You get what I'm saying? I'm trying to teach us to avoid the shortest route, okay? Come on, say, fear not. Fear not. Say, stand firm, stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of God. Now, now notice the next phrase. Notice what, notice what it says here. Um, it says here, uh, where am I? I, wanna, I want you all to see this real quick. Come on. Verse 15, I want to get back. This thing closed on me, the, the challenge with these things. I want you all to see this really, really quick to kind of see what it's saying. Okay. Verse 14, I'm not done yet. Verse 14, there's an important verb there. Verse 14, back up to 13. The Egyptians you see today, you will what? Never see again. That's an important phrase. Okay. So after I stand firm, after I stop fearing and allow God to begin the process of deliverance, look at 14. Yahweh or the Lord will do what? You only have to what? Yeah. Important verbal phrase. Okay? Say, God will fight. Say it again. Say, God will fight. That is written in Hebrew in a grammatical nuance that's known as the imperfect or the imperfective form of the verb. Let me tell you what that means. The imperfect tense in Hebrew has to do with kind of action, not time of action. One more time. The imperfect tense in Hebrew has to do with kind of action, not time of action. My problem is with the time of action. <laughs> Not the kind of action, but it's the time of action. Here's my big idea. God is never in a hurry 
<laughs> yeah. Are you with me? When he is working on you, changing you, forming you, because he allows adequate time for him to remove out of you everything in you that's not like him. So God, if we were Greek, we would use the aorist tense, say it doesn't matter what time it is, but the imperfective in Hebrew says, with God, time doesn't matter. If time did, he'd take the short route. And you'd be in Canaan looking like Egyptians. Come on, are you with me? <laughs> so, so stand still, even though it's not happening when we think. It, yeah, y'all got it. Yeah, you guys are preaching with me. Yeah. That's hard. Come on, y'all. Let me not be phony here. That's hard. Y'all should have just said, that's hard, preacher. Hard, preacher. Yeah, that, that, that was the spot where you said, it's hard, preacher. Come on. Because I want to do me. And you want to do you. And we are tired of the pain. We're tired of the hardship. We're tired of the frustration. We're tired of all the stuff that we have to go through. And we want it done. And we want it done now. So here's our prayer. Lord, do it. Do it, Jesus. And I really won't mind if you don't get it done before I finish this prayer. So I'm going to stretch the prayer out. Lord, Father, come on, show up. And You know what I mean? And then we open our eye to see something happen. And we go back to pray. Come on, because we want it done now. The imperfect tense or the imperfective tense of that verb says it's, it's, it's an imperative, meaning that if God said he's going to do it, it's going to happen whether you believe it or not. Time doesn't belong to you. It is going to get done. And so here's what Moses said. Listen, I can't tell y'all when God's going to do it, but I can say that he will. And believers, we need to learn how to walk with that level of assurance that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. When, when the text says that God will fight, the imperfective tense also connotes or carries with it ongoing action, ongoing. And this is an important phrase. On, come on, say ongoing action. That's important, that's important, that's important. Say ongoing action. <laughs> because here's the deal. If he fought for me yesterday, he's going to fight for me today, and he's going to fight for me tomorrow, and he's going to fight for me in tomorrow's tomorrow. But here's the thing. If I don't stand still for him to fight for me today, how in the heck do I expect him to fight for me tomorrow? Because I haven't dealt with today yet. And if I didn't stand still yesterday, why do I think he's going to fight for me today? Are you hearing me? Fear not, stand still, let God fight so you can see the deliverance. Ongoing action, because here's the deal, here's the deal. If he fights for you today, the next time you have a Red Sea in front of you, and a mountain on the back, and a Pharaoh on the side, guess what you're going to do? Yeah. Bring it on. God's got this. But like I said, if you don't know that he has this, it's going to create a level of fear, and we're going to fool ourselves into thinking we need to do something because we're not standing still. And today is the beginning of the rest of your tomorrow because we need to learn to know how to let God fight for us. Come on, say stand still. Fear not. See the salvation of God. And say let God fight for you. Now let me summarize. Let me share this one thing, and I'm going to need another two weeks to build this one out. So I just need to kind of say this with you, because um, 
I don't want anybody to, to misinterpret or misunderstand or misconceive the simplicity of what I'm about to share with you, um, but I want us to understand this. So, this is a trip. This, this is funny to me. Um, verse 14, Moses, 13, here's what Moses said to the people. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see tomorrow. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. Now, here's the humor in what I just read for you. Um, you, you you've got to see this. I am Moses, metaphors, and you are the Israelites. And I'm standing up on the pulpit on Sunday morning, and we just got out of Egypt. And we're heading towards our Canaan. And, and the Egyptians are outside the door, and there's nothing but Red Sea up front, and we don't know what to do. And here I stand as boldly as I can. Fear not! Stand firm! Today you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Those Egyptians you see today, you will never see them no more. Only allow God to fight for you. You would think I have my act together. Look at verse 14. Look at the next, no, verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to who? There's a change in scenery there. It's like Moses left the stand. Fear not! Stand still today! You will see the deliverance of God. The Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see no more. Y'all stay right here. <laughs> hey, God. <laughs> what you gonna do about what I just said? Right? And he's all of a sudden in a point of prayer because the text doesn't say the people are crying out to God. It's a one-on-one -on -one conversation now between God and his called leader in how to handle the situation. Moses, what you doing? Why are you standing before me crying out? What is going on? And then look at this. Look at this. Here's what he says. Tell the people of Israel to go wide. Remember the principles that I shared with you. If you've got the cloud in front and the fire behind, stand still doesn't mean stop progress. <laughs> ah! If you've got the cloud in front and the pillar behind, stand still does not mean stop progress. Are you with me? What are y'all waiting for? Go ahead. What are you talking about, God? Don't you see what's in front of you? Hold up. Did you forget that I'm omniscient? I know everything. Do you forget that I'm the present? I have all power. Do you forget that I'm, I can see everything in front of me? Don't you think I see the dog on sea? Go! God, you tripping. That's what we do. Free illustration, and I'm going to move on. Tithe. God, you tripping? The mortgage is due. <laughs> Car payments due. How am I supposed to eat tomorrow, God? And he's, that's the Red Sea. 
move forward. Don't let nothing hinder progress. If the cloud is in front and the fire is behind because you're in my will and I've got, I wish I had somebody. I've got you. You guys are tracking with me? So, so now, now look at verse 16. Moses, I'm just going to say this and I'm going to stop. Lift up your staff and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea. How? Let's read, let's read verse 16 carefully because this is where I want to make a crazy statement that I'm hoping you guys can wrestle with me. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through on dry ground. Back up to verse 15. Moses is crying out to God. Hey, God, here we are. What are you going to do about this? Here's God's response. What do you mean, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Y'all missing this. Y'all missing this. You really are, you really are, you really are. Because, because, this is what we do. Lord, the bills are due. What you going to do about it, God? Do something. And God's up in heaven. What do you mean, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? I wish I had somebody. <laughs> Lord, my house is crazy. He isn't acting right. She isn't acting right. God, what are you going to do about it? God's like, what do you mean, what am I going to do about it? What are you? Because I've already positioned the cloud in front. And I've already positioned the pillar behind. So progress isn't hindered. That's not the problem. The problem seems to me you just don't know who you are and what's in you. <laughs> because seems to me I've already done my part in giving you everything you need to get where I need you to go. The problem doesn't seem to hang with me. It seems to hang with you. So why are you crying out to me? I've given you what you... I wish I had somebody in here to do what I need to do. Okay, you guys don't get it. Back up to chapter 3. Go, because we'd have a few handkerchiefs by now if we... No, I'm just kidding. Back up to Exodus, back up to Exodus. Let me just walk you through this really, really quick. Uh, Exodus, go to Exodus chapter 3. Um, jump down, I think it's verse 8. Come on, y'all get there really quick, really quick. I have three minutes to do this. Exodus 3 and 8. Um, yeah. No, 13, Exodus 3 and 13. Okay. You guys are there? Now, I'm going to make some crazy statements that... If your New Testament theology is messed up, you might miss what I'm saying, okay? So, let's, we got to come Wednesday so we can wrestle through this. Verse 13, you guys are there? Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to me, to you, sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, and there's a tetragrammaton, right? I am who I am. We dealt with that. And they said, and he said, this is what you ought to say to the people of Israel, okay? The I am has sent me to you, okay? Now, in case you missed that message, is the ever-present tense of the verb to be. 
And, and what that simply means is that Moses, just listen, I can become what you need me to become at the time that you need me to become it. So nothing should hinder progress. So I am giving you unlimited abilities to do the task. This is key, context, that I've assigned you to do. I am. Because here's the thing. There's a multiplicity of gods in Egypt. There's a pantheon of gods, and they can do a whole lot of stuff. Who are you? What is your ability? Moses, I can't begin to define my ability because circumstance might dictate what I need to do. In other words, today you might not need a car, and tomorrow you might. And so tomorrow I'll show you how to get that. You get? But today it's not a need, so you don't need to know me like that. <laughs> Y'all missing this. Tomorrow you might be hungry, but today you're well fed. So right now, I don't need to be bread to the hungry because you're doing good. But tomorrow, you might need me to be bread to the hungry, and I can become that tomorrow. The day after, you might need water for the thirsty, and I can become that. So it depends on what the need time that you needed. You just call me I am. I wish I had somebody in here. I am that I am. I can become it. So I can't, I can't define it, Moses, because if I do, it would have a start and it would have an end. I still am the Alpha and the Omega. I didn't start, so I have nowhere to go for. I have nowhere to end because I'm already everywhere. I can't put boundaries on my definition. <sighs> and the reason the Red Sea scares us because we hope to have a yesterday and all of a sudden it showed up and we forget who God is. <sighs> look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Let me, let me get there. Lord, I'm out of time. We need to have like two services again. Watch this. I'm almost there. Y'all be gracious with me. Let me say this, okay? And then it says, 15, God said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, sent me to you. This is my name forever. Okay, 16, go gather the elders of Israel, say to them, the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you, I've seen you in Egypt. Look at 17, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt to the land of Canaan, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, so on and so forth, right? You guys are there. 18, he talks about let them go that they may take a three-day journey. Do what you want to do with that. We kind of talked about that last week. Okay, jump to um, 14, chapter, I mean chapter 4. Go to chapter 4. This is the first of my crazy statements. Then Moses said, Moses answered, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Look at verse 2. Okay, okay, Moses, let's talk about this. What's that in your hand? And he said what? Come on, say it again. He said what? Okay, so what's that you have, Moses? A what? One more time, say it again. Now, this is free, and I might develop this next week. I find it interesting that while in Egypt, Moses did not have a staff, but when he got to Jethro and them and out in the wilderness, his true calling surfaced, and he ended up with 
This is free. If you're trying to find your staff in Egypt, the goal is deliverance from Egypt to Canaan so you can go back to Egypt. Y'all okay? We'll pick that up next week, okay? So there's a staff. You guys are with me? Now go all the way down to um, verse 10. I mean, verse 16. I'm going to say this. I'm going to wrap it up really, really quick because i got to stop here, okay? So, so God, um, let me see if I missed anything real quick. Um, he throws the staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. God tells him, pick up the staff by the tail. He picks it up. It turns back into the staff. God does all this other stuff with him. And then God says, go. And now he has this argument with God. I can't preach. Can't talk. I'm not called to preach. Just like a whole lot of y'all are saying. And God is saying, I don't need you to call to preach. I just need you to go to Egypt. And he says, I gave you a pastor. I gave you ministers. So I've got errands to go with you. Okay, okay, and so Aaron's going to talk. Look at verse 16. He will speak for you um, to the people, and you shall put, and he shall put, and he shall be your mouth, and you, sh and you shall be as God to him. Look at 17. And take in your hand, the what? With which you shall do, what? Context real quick, and I'm almost done. Go back to chapter 14. Um, go back to Exodus, um, so I can, I can read this, and then I'm going to stop. Exodus 14, 15. Um, go there real quick. Okay. Now, the same staff was the vehicle that God gave Moses so that Moses could have with him demonstration of God's ability that nothing can stop him. So he goes to Egypt. And you'll notice with me, the majority of the miracles that he performs in Egypt involves put it on the water, it becomes blood, wave it in the air, gnats come down. Come on, y'all know the stories. Sometimes he say, okay, Aaron, show him what the staff could do. And Aaron would say, y'all don't want none of this. You know? <laughs> and, he, and he'd do his thing and the staff. Yeah, come on, are you with me? Okay, now, now we get to chapter 15. And, and Moses has not yet forgotten the staff. He still has it with him. It's just that he has never seen the staff work like this before. <laughs> and so, and he had nerve enough to show up in the presence of God with the staff in his hand. And he goes to God, hey God, what you going to do? And God said, what do you mean what am I going to do? What are you going to do? What do you mean, God? What am I going to do? Aren't you holding part of me that I deposited in you to show you that you have the ability to do what I need done through you? Ah, I wish I had. Moses, didn't you ask me who it is that sent you? And I said, I am that I am. And I showed you what I can do. And as a matter of fact, I demonstrated in you that I'm going to impart a portion of me So you can be God in the earth. This is important. That's why I'm saying I hope your theology is right so you don't misinterpret what I'm about to say, okay? So Moses, wherever you go, I am. <laughs> Whatever you do, I do. So listen to this. Go take that staff 
and go to that Red Sea and raise it and watch what's going to happen. He raises the staff and God takes over. Listen to me. This is where I'm going to stop. My problem and your problem in life is we don't know how to work with God in engaging the enemy. I'm one of those guys that's going to say to you, God has given you all the resources you need, assuming you have a relationship with him, because if you're in Egypt, you've got a scepter, not a staff. <laughs> and that's why you come into the church with an Egypt mindset and you're killing folk. You're using the wrong tool. You've got a gift. Let me use terms that you can connect with. An anointing. A calling. An area of ten. These are my terms. That God has given you. That if you keep the cloud in front and the fire behind, nothing can impede your progress. But because we don't know that and we don't understand the staff, and we don't understand the eternal isness of God and our calling and our destiny. God, what you gonna do right now? Help a brother out, God. And he's saying to you, what do you have in your hand? But you see, a lot of us have been running so much, we've never really used the staff because we've always been in fear and we don't know how to stand still, so we've never seen Yeshua, you know, the deliverance of God, because whenever it came time to pull the staff out, we running. That sea parted, not so much because God released the word, but because Moses used what God gave him. Then, once Moses used what God gave him, God showed up. Question, and I'm done. What has God given you <laughs> that he could use while we work with him, let me get it right, to deal with the Egyptians in our life that has hindered progress all these years and we can't get there? That's why I love the book Experiencing God because an encounter with God reveals the staff in your hand. So if you hadn't encountered him, you really don't know what it is. You get what I'm saying? Here's how I want to pray. I want every person in here to begin the process because we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Lord, show me the staff. And it's a metaphor. If you don't already know it, some of us already know. Because the Red Sea is in front and Pharaoh's army is behind and we're crying out to him, God, do something. And he's saying, what do you mean, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? And next week we'll talk about how he works and how to partner with others. We'll talk about all that. Because some of us are incapable of holding the staff up ourselves. So we'll talk about that next week. But the prayer is to say, God, show me. Reveal yourself to me. Here's the invitation piece. This is very, very important. It's very, very difficult 
to recognize what the staff is. I'm not saying you're in Egypt, Lisa. This, it's just Egypt, okay? You just have to be standing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good move. It, it's hard to recognize the staff while you're in Egypt. Because what you use in Egypt doesn't necessarily work in Canaan. A relationship with God is important, right? So, if you don't know God as your personal Lord and Savior, get to know Him first so He can reveal Himself to you. And it begins the process of growing to becoming more like Him. Amen? So, here's my prayer. Here's your prayer. God, show me me in light of you. Because I've encountered so many Red Sea situations, so many crises, so many difficulties that I don't know where to go, and the enemy's pursuing, and I want to make progress. So, Holy God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal, reveal yourself to me. Because I don't want to see another Egyptian. And today is the beginning of the process. It's the beginning of the process. So, Holy Spirit, be God in our midst this morning, Lord, as we cry out to you, as we seek your heart, as we pray. We want to hear from you. If there's one that don't know you as Lord and Savior, draw them, God. Bring them to a relationship with you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for who you are. What a mighty God you are. What a gracious God you are. Be God in our midst. In your name we pray.